Welcome back to Outdoors with me, Lawrence Gunther. This episode covers the gamut from animals we hate to birds we love. Yeah, you guessed it. I'm talking rats and loons. Lily has some interesting experiences to share about being a former pet owner of rats. I'm going to talk with Margie Manthe about her Get the Let Out fishing tackle program because loons are suffering. I've got some tips to share on traveling internationally with your guide dog, don't do what I did, and a reflection to share on why we need to be open to new information about wild animals and our beliefs. Come on, Lewis, let's go find Lily before she brings home another odd pet. Hi, Lily. Hi. Hey, I just read an article in Hack High magazine called In Defense of the Rat. And it made me think of you and your your furry friends. Uh, oh my gosh. Do you miss them? Yes, of course. They were the best pets. At some point, we had maybe five of them in, in the same house. Oh, yeah, I know. I remember. He ate a lot of rats. We were taking in rats. We were. We were like a sanctuary at that point. Yeah. Yeah, because we, we started with two. Yeah. And then what happened? Then, uh, then, and, and Allie had two. Yeah. And then one of, no, then, okay. We had two. Then Mimi decided, saw she wanted one. Yeah. So she went, so went, she got, went to the pet store and got one and then they told her it was a boy. But when we got back, we realized, oh my God, it's a girl. And we had two boy rats. So we couldn't put a girl no. rat with two boys. No, no. So she took her rat home. Yeah. On the bus. It, it was in her sleeve and she yeah. got on the Greyhound bus with it. Yeah. And then, um, then one of Allie's two rats died. Yeah. So we took one, the the remaining one, and tried to integrate it with our two guys, and it didn't work because no. one of ours was too territorial. We tried really hard because you know, and they yeah. need to be with two people. Well, they rats are they they can't be alone. No, they need to be, they're social animals. So, so we got that. We so what we did is we got that male rat neutered yeah. to put with Mimi's female rat who was hairless yeah a hairless female and then rat. it was just a whole thing but that, that and that worked out okay until they all just expired at the end yeah they were really yeah. good though they were good rats so what made you think about getting a rat as a pet in the first place well i was in grade four so my thought process is a little cloudy <laughs> yeah i wanted a hamster yeah i wanted a hamster and i wanted something small and furry to cuddle with mm. and i was like you know hamsters they're stupid you know they're not very intelligent yeah. so then i went into more research as an eight-year-old and i thought oh rats rats are so smart and then i started watching youtube videos about people who had pet rats and i was like yep this is what i want i can get to teach them to do tricks i can teach them to do all this fun stuff i want a rat so didn't you when you looked on the internet though didn't you find a lot of stuff that was just anti-rat how did you find the good stuff about rats on on the internet when there must be not a ton of that a lot of people really do like having pet rats. Oh. So it's like, you know, I would Google, what do I need to, what, what to know before getting a pet rat? Yeah. And then I, there was this one lady I always watched on YouTube. Her name was the rat guru. She was so brilliant. And she had like, I think 12 rats or something. Wow. Uh. And she was so knowledgeable and everything. So I just watched her videos obsessively as a little eight year old child and learn all the things I needed to know about rats. I became a crazy little rat expert. You did. And, and we had the biggest cage. We had a great cage for them. We had yeah. all these things for them, all the hammocks, all the toys, all the mental stimulation. They were yeah. happy. They were happy. Well, that cage must have been about two meters tall and about a meter and a half wide and a meter deep. It was a it was a great big playpen and there was tons of stuff in there for them to oh, yeah. do. Yeah, they had a lot of fun. So Lily, what did you learn as a rat owner? 
Um, oh my gosh, everything. Yeah. I learned about the dietary restrictions of rats, which is not a lot, you guys. Like, they could eat pretty much anything. Ah, they were eating all our leftovers, that's for that's sure. That's true. They eat yeah. the, they, they eat the, I, I gave them the leftovers off my plate. Yeah. That, the one thing rats don't really do that super well on is dairy. Yeah. But other than that, their digestive system and their food intake is pretty similar to a human's. Like, our rats ate chocolate and pancakes like we made them little mini pancakes whenever we made pancakes with the remaining drops of batter that Uh, was left (laughs) they had fruit they had they they could eat actually everything they're super omnivores yeah um i learned that they were so smart and we could train them to do tricks at some point i even had it down like that if i was letting my rat run around the floor and i had like a box of kleenex at one corner of the room if i were to sneeze the rat would run to the kleenex box and bring me back a kleenex no way yeah i had that down he he forgot it pretty quickly because we didn't keep that trick up but he got it yeah in the article they said you know most people that work with rats and you know it's all about testing for the most part right Mm -hmm. they're used in testing but uh, they find out pretty quick that they're empathetic they uh, animals and they're they're sentient right they have feelings they are and they can feel empathy for other rats they'll forego their own freedom they'll forego food in exchange to help another rat yeah they're they're great little community animals that really take like that's why they need to be in groups they, yeah. they cannot be lonely no they can't be alone and they are super empathetic like they know you're feeling they're really good at reading feelings they're like dogs like that like there was this one test they did where the when the rat uh, press down on a button, they would get a pellet. But mm-hmm. then it, it also found out later that when the rat pressed down on that button, another rat in another cage would get a small shock and squeal. And it didn't take long for the rat to say, no, I don't want any more pellets. I don't want to hurt my fellow rat over there. Yeah. You know? It's really great. They're so great for that. Yeah. Lily, what are the three things you like most about having rats as pets? Um, how smart they are yeah. and how nice they are. Like hamsters, we don't realize this. Hamsters bite, man. Yeah. Like I've bitten, bitten by a hamster, <laughs> but never have I been bitten by a rat. No. They would just, they'd kiss you. They, they'd actually give you kisses. They were super affectionate. They loved to cuddle and they would sit on your shoulder. Yeah. And I also, like, I really, really liked how, yeah, so they were smart and they were super affectionate and... Rats are ticklish. That's they're, another thing. They're, they're ticklish. If yeah. you if you tickle them, they'll make like they'll laugh. Yeah, they, and they actually laugh. And they, they scientists have proven this that rats will laugh. No, they do. Yeah, and not all rats are ticklish, but a lot of them, most of them, like to have their belly tickled. Yeah, and, Pepper wasn't ticklish. Meatball was. Yeah, Meatball loved to be tickled. Yeah. And what were some of the challenges in keeping rats? Uh, the cage upkeep wasn't great because yeah. if you didn't clean, that's the thing. Like if you. You needed to get into a really good cleaning pattern. Otherwise, the smell would be pretty bad. Like there are yeah. com- there are ways to make it so they don't smell at all. We just apparently never got to that point. Well, yeah, they, they were two rats and, uh, and and I think they were sent. One was marking, maybe. Maybe, but there's ways to there's there's ways to clean, like keep yeah. a rat a cage not smelling bad. We just never figured it out well yeah. for our guys. But they did. They were using a, an area of their cage just for where they were going to the bathroom. Yeah, and then they had a play area and they had a sleeping area and a food area. They were litter trained. Yeah. Like they were pretty much litter trained. It was amazing. They had a litter box. Yeah. Um, and they only live for like two to three years. So yeah. it's really not easy when one of them dies because you get so attached to them. And then the other one's alone. And, and the other one's alone. And that one's too old. So if you get it, another friend it's like what it's what's it gonna do you know yeah yeah, and it's just an endless cycle but actually what was really sad was when we had two rats left one of them died one day yeah and then 
the next day we woke up, like he died in the evening. Yeah. And then the next day we go, we woke up the next morning and the other one was dead. Yeah. And it was just from old age and the other one had died from actually a broken heart. Broken heart. That wasn't a, it wasn't a disease or a virus. I mean, they weren't, they didn't look sick. They were, they weren't sick at all. They were super healthy, but they were just old. Oh, Lily. I remember too, you volunteered at that rat rescue operation. Tell us about that. That was so fun. I don't even know if that thing is still a thing. It's the like Ottawa rat rescue ottawa rat sanctuary something like that yeah and she took rats any rat any rat that was in a bad situation that needed she had one her whole living room in her apartment was just rows upon rows of those huge cages like the really good cages yeah the expensive cages the big ones like us and even bigger yeah like twice double the height yeah Double height, yeah. And she had like 20 rats and she had specific play times for them. So like her whole living. So they didn't just stay in the couch in their cages all day. No, like every hour she had a rotating group going on. So she'd have the boys come out and play for 30 minutes, just run around the the living room. (laughs) She blocked off the exit. So they would run around the living room on the couches and then she put them back in and then the girls would come out. And then the girls would do their little play thing. Like it was, and they, and they all ate human food and rat food. She, she would make her own food for them. She would not buy it at the pet store. She made her own food out of like scrambled eggs, granola, all the things you could, those little rats could need fresh fruit, fresh vegetables. Wow. It was a really fun to just play <laughs> yeah, with the she, rats. And she, and she lived alone, but she was a young lady too, right? And yep. she had a job, full-time job. Oh yeah. And uh, this is what she did. She Her whole lower floor, main floor of her house was dedicated to rescuing rats. I remember when I went, she had the, she, was, she was like, Lily, try this vegan brie cheese that I bought. And I'm, I'm like, oh, it's kind of odd. And she's like, yeah, I don't like it either. But it was super expensive. And it was like $30 for this wheel. And now I'm feeding it to the rats because they <laughs> love it. <laughs> so the rats he rescued, though, they were all rats that had been domesticated. Yeah, they were all under the, like, the, the, the species fancy rat. So if you hear anything about fancy rat, it means it's a domesticated bread for domestic use rat yeah, yeah so they were all fancy rats and the lab rats are all white rats and they all come from a, one specific strain of rats that was selected just because they're so docile and easy to get along with yeah yeah the dumbo rats usually too huh. like when their ears are on the side of their head it often means that they're actually more docile but when they're at the top of their head they can be a little more like spunky yeah yeah, Meatball had Meatball. Meatball was a Dumbo rat, which was why he was so tame and yeah. so nice. And Pepper was he was feisty. He was feisty. He was the one that didn't let the other guy into the cage. No. <laughs> Crazy when the other fellow, the third fellow, was introduced. Yeah, he did not like it. Lily, do you think if you could do it again, would you do it again? Would you have rats again as pets? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eh? yeah. But I'd get girls. Girls, the girl rats are smarter. And they live longer and they don't smell as bad as the boys. <laughs> and they're nicer. <laughs> they're nicer, right? Eh? Yeah. Rat stigma is so crazy. Like when I tell people that I've had pet rats, they are all like, oh my God, that's so disgusting. Rats carry diseases. Super untrue. Rats do not carry more diseases than any other animal. Everyone's like, the Black Plague was p- caused by rats. Also untrue. Yeah, apparently the the big plagues, they were fleas and lice that lived on humans. Yeah. And the rats actually didn't pass it on because they don't really move around the city. They stay in their own little areas. Exactly. And those fleas lived on the humans and the dogs and the cows. So those rats were not responsible. They were just blamed. Common rats, the black ones and the brown ones, they come from other parts of the world. And now they're just about in every part of the world except Antarctica. There's even those giant African rats that measure like a foot long. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Crazy. (laughs) Well, hey, thanks, Lily. 
Hey, you guys, if you want to learn more about rats, Hack High Magazine makes their article available as a downloadable podcast. It's H-A-K-A-I, H-A-K-A-I Magazine. You can get the rat article downloaded to your podcast player. And uh, it's a good article. They have great articles and they're all well read by human voices. Loons are complex creatures, yet the future of the common loon is at stake and they need our help. According to Birds Canada, loons are in trouble. Past damage from acid rain, mercury pollution, water clarity issues due to runoff, algae blooms, and the looming effects of climate change. And then there's lead poisoning, responsible for as much as 50% of loon mortality in Canada. According to Margie Manthe and the research studies she's collected, about lead fishing tackle. Margie's going to talk to us about her Get the Lead Out initiative. And we've got Margie Manthe. Thank you for joining us. Oh, Lawrence, thank you so much. This is something that's very controversial, you know, lead fishing tackle. Talk to us how this got started and how it unfolded. I write a wildlife column every week for the Review Mirror in Westport. Somebody had asked me, I've gotten an, e- an email from a reader, and she said, would you please consider writing about lead toxicosis in aquatic birds. And then the more I read about it, I'm not afraid to admit when I've gotten something wrong. So as an angler, I've gotten something wrong. Now that was through ignorance. I think that's the big challenge is people just don't see evidence of, of, you know, they say, well, if it was killing the loons, the loons would all be dead by now because we've been using lead in, in, you know, fishing for hundreds of years. We know we have evidence now, don't we? Thousands of tons of lead, lost lead jigs and lost lead sinkers accumulating every year. So here we are trying to support loons with a a, a nesting platform um, to try to get that half chick average per year, which is what the loons average per year with their reproductive success. We really count on the loons longevity. These animals are long lived. And that's how they can kind of keep the population on an even keel. And we do know now that we are losing a loon population. Lead toxicosis, which is just fancy lead poisoning. We know for a fact that lead is a powerful neurotoxin. It's not a secret. You wouldn't want your children or you wouldn't want yourself to be ingesting lead. There's no amount of safe lead to digest now. There's no amount of safe lead. Yeah, and it's always fatal in in wild birds once it reaches a certain level. That's an eye-opener in and of itself. So Mm -hmm. you imagine your tiniest split shot that you've ever had to put on a line, and that is enough to kill an adult eagle. It's enough to kill an adult loon. It'll take out ducks, um, swans, the number one causes for swans. Uh, It's lead. But when you consider that it's the number one killer of loons in some regions, as high at one time as 52% of all loon mortality is lead fishing tackle poisoning. And the interesting part, though, is in areas where they've enacted legislation to restrict the types of lead that we use or lead at all, Mm-hmm. Uh, they got the number down to about 40%. They swallow a piece of lead inadvertently. How, how's it going to kill them? Wouldn't it just pass right through them? But they don't understand the, how the gullet works. Birds who have gullets, who swallow small pieces of gravel that stay in the gullet to grind up the vegetation that they eat. And that that's a part of the digestive process is the grinding of these small rocks in their gullet. But when they add a small piece of lead into that pile of gravel in the gullet, that piece of lead gets instantly ground into literally liquid. 
and then it becomes fully infused into their system. Loons are kind of the poster child because they are so susceptible and vulnerable to lead poisoning. Um, bald eagles and golden eagles are mostly getting lead toxicosis from gut piles um, mm. and unrecovered game, where wow. it just takes a little. That's where the eagles number one is. But with loons, of course, it's um, they're not uh, terrestrial creatures, so they're getting it in the waterway. But yeah. so yes, you're right. They dive and. Um, they pick up little pebbles to help them grind food. They also are being found with very large, surprisingly large lures in their bellies. We know that loons swallow their prey whole. They don't pick it apart. They yeah. have been documented to swallow 12, 13 inch fish right down the hatch. So when I tell you hook, line and sinker, they get it all. And this could be through a fish that broke the line. The necropsy has concluded through science and lab work, these loons were lead poisoned. It's not the hook that kills them. It's not the carrying the lure in the stomach that kills them. Uh, unless the, the hook lodges in the esophagus, it's the lead. So sometimes you don't see it, right? No. Our main goal is to collect lead um, and spread awareness. And just to try to encourage and incentivize anglers to, you know, give tungsten a try, give steel a try, mm -hmm. tin, bismuth. There's so many alternatives. And again, having angled now for uh, 50 years plus, and I'm quite the, you know, active angler. I, I wouldn't say I'm tournament level for sure, but I, I'm out there a lot. Um, you know, it's doable. You can find it. And the people complain that it's more expensive. And yes, it is more expensive, but it comes back to ethics again and doing what we know is right. It, when you're a tackle manufacturer, you have to be so careful because there's people who have very strong feelings about yes, you know, they do. The, yes, how they yeah. make their lures are made, but they realize there's opportunities to push the non and they're doing it. And, you know, I think about, you know, you take your kids fishing, your grandkids fishing, your youth group fishing. How much how much weight do you need, right? Uh, you know, it's not like you're you're going through pounds and pounds of this stuff every day. It's not a financial deterrent when you're talking about getting a pack of non-lead split shot. There's obviously some baits that are less likely to cause trouble, right? Bottom bouncers, you know, three, four pounds bottom bouncers, they break off, they're gonna sink and disappear into the into the bottom you know, pretty quick. And I don't think anything's swallowing a bottom bouncer. Start with your jig head, start with your split shot. Um, and maybe consider like, I have some really nice shatter baits that are lead free now, underspins and things like that. We, we recruited some retailers to, you know, put our literature in the window and we had some vouchers created, which are coupons, they are $10. And so if you were to bring in any amount, any condition, of lead tackle to one of our participating retailers and you get a $10 voucher and you can use that towards a uh, purchase of lead free tackle. Nice. So, yeah. And we've had the uh, Lions reuse and recycle center, the Westport Lions, they've kind of partnered up with us. And so people come to the reuse and recycle center, but you know what we're finding Lawrence, this is kind of interesting. We collected, first of all, 210 pounds as our final number for year one. So we're yeah. really pleased 210 pounds of lead. We are finding that not everybody cares a whole lot about the vouchers, you know, what's inspiring people. I think it's more about just, showing people the science and um, encouraging them to consider just changing over uh, and, and doing the right thing.
Yeah, I agree. I agree. And and the fact that they now have a place where they can drop this off. And I think that's a huge thing. They, they can come in, bring it, drop it, and and feel good about doing something, knowing that it's going to be properly disposed of. It's not just going into a landfill. It's not just going to be turned into other, you know, fishing lures. It, it's going to be, you know, properly disposed of and, and they can feel good about that. So yeah, there's, they're doing their bit. Again, you're giving people the opportunity to do something positive. And that's, that, that's amazing. They did incorporate a ban over the wetlands with lead shot. Um, other than that, um, and I think as well in the national parks, you can't use uh, lead sinkers or jigs, but yeah, we're, we're free to use lead wherever we'd like. In the States, that's the case. For national parks in the United States, lead is now banned. Not everyone agreed to that. You know, I know the American Sports Fishing Association yeah, came out against they're that. They're tough. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, yeah. they're tough. Um, and because, let's be honest, there's dollars behind this. Good for you for moving this ahead. And I think the fact that this is happening at a grassroots level, yeah. this is about volunteerism. This is about understanding, developing an understanding, developing awareness, and, and people making a decision on their own. Just ask people to, to kind of put things into perspective. Like, where are you spending your money frivolously? Why suddenly is doing something for the resource you enjoy? Why is that expenditure such a painful experience? I think our, our resources are priceless. And we're, we're starting to understand that, you know, we can't just point now at, at big industrial polluters and giant ships for moving around invasive species mm-hmm. and, and, and and pharmaceutical companies for dumping chemicals into our, our lakes. We're starting to realize that, you know, we have to take some responsibility because we're doing some of this stuff. We're moving invasive species around and we're, we're learning about that and we're being instructed, okay, you got to be super careful now when you move your boat or your kayak or you know, move a middle bucket around. You know, we, we have to be much more aware. One health uh, blog that you wrote, which was again so eye opening, and that it 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 comes down to every single person. We're just average people, right? Working together, and so mm-hmm. how much more if we adopt things as um, a province or a state or a nation globally? Of course, uh, is the golden ring, but you know you start small. I had somebody tell me early on with the lead uh, fishing tackle buyback program. Again, a little bit overwhelming when you're laying the foundation. And uh, he's someone I very much respect in fishing. And he told me, start small and show them what you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's excellent advice. So never assume you can't make a difference. Where can people find out more about these initiatives, Margie? Well, I, I'm happy to give my email, Manthe, M-A-N-T-H-E-Y dot Margie, M-A-R-G-I-E, at gmail.com. Thank you so much. You were a true local champion. I just spent a week in the UK without my guide dog. We spent a whole week getting the permits organized to bring him along and then found out the day before we left that they weren't going to let him in. There was a problem with his sequence of rabies vaccines. Unfortunately, his first vaccine was documented as good for three years. But when we dug up the paperwork, because we had to have paperwork verifying all the vaccines he's had in his life, it turns out it was only good for one year. So the booster he got three years later was an initial vaccine for rabies again. He had to start the process over, which would have been fine if he had another vaccine a year later to finish the uh, booster, but he didn't. And if you don't get another vaccine shot no earlier than 21 days before he leaves, so you can't do it 
within the last 21 days before you try to cross the border, he's not going to get in. That's the UK. They're really rigid. And I contacted the Royal National Institute for the Blind, and so did some others. And they said, no, those are the laws. The same laws for dogs, all dogs are applied to guide dogs. Now, 20 years ago, you couldn't even bring a dog into the UK. But I still think they're a little bit overly restrictive, especially when I found out that if you bring a dog in from the French side through the channel, you don't need to go through all this. Now, that's what I heard. It's not verified. Also, what I'm saying is if you're planning on taking your dog overseas or on an international trip, make sure you do your research well in advance. Make sure you've got your paperwork sorted out. Even going into the United States, you know, I've done this hundreds of times with my guide dogs and I've only been asked once, where's my paperwork for the rabies shot for my guide dog? And I never had it with me. But thankfully, I was able to contact my vet. They were able to send it to me, a scan of the paperwork to my iPhone. And I showed it to the customs officials at the uh, pre-clearance in Montreal. And I got through just in time. But they told me, you know, they could have denied me and they could have given me a thousand dollar fine for trying to enter without the paperwork. So, yeah, be careful, you guys. Get your paperwork in order. You know, they say as many as 62% of the illnesses that are running around out there in humans came from animals. That's called zoonotic diseases, right? When a disease transfers from an animal to a human. Worst thing, though, is, you know, we can treat our animals and make sure they're taken care of. But what happens in nature? We have very little idea. There's not a lot of research being done about the transfer of viruses amongst wild animals. We know the African swine fever is being transmitted between wild pigs in Europe, you know, and now we have wild pigs in Canada too. These are pigs that have escaped farms, but so far, no pigs in Canada have shown up with the African swine fever, thank goodness. The avian flu and all the birds that have died over the last two years from the avian flu. And if a bird with the avian flu flies over your flock of chickens and poops into the chicken coop, you know, if, especially if they're like free range on the ground and one of your chickens steps into it, then they can get the virus and pass it on to the, all the other chickens. They're telling people, keep your chickens inside. And then simple things like a, a tiny lead sinker above a small hook below a float. You know, you're fishing for some sunfish with your kids or grandkids or your brother or sister or whatever. And, you know, the line breaks, gets wrapped around a stick and it snaps your line. And then your hook is there and a little lead is hanging down from the hook over by the weeds. And it's just there. You think, oh, well, it's not going to hurt anybody. And then a loon comes along and sees that little piece of lead hanging there and thinks, oh, I'll add that to my gizzard, you know, with the other pebbles to macerate the weeds I'm eating. And they don't know that that lead gets macerated by the pebbles in their gizzard, turns into liquid, and then they get a lead infusion into their bloodstream that kills them pretty much instantly. And then some other animal eats that loon and they get sick from the lead poisoning and on and on. We need to take care of the animals. We need to take care of ourselves. There's no excuses. We know what's going on out there now. We know that these things can happen. We need to educate ourselves, take responsibility, and make sure we take care of the animals the same way we take care of ourselves. It's a one health situation. 
If they're healthy, we're healthy. If we're sick, they're going to be sick. Follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or visit me at lawrencegunther.com to keep up to date on my blogs and videos. Subscribe to get the latest episodes of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther by visiting your favorite podcast provider. And please take some time to rank us and give us some comments. Send me your feedback, suggestions, and questions at feedback at ami.ca or on Twitter at AMI-audio. The manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. Hi, I'm Stephen Scott. Join me every day for Double Tap. It's a show where we occasionally talk about technology for blind and partially sighted people. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts.